Hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch. For this night, and all the nights to come. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Game of Thrones Rewatch Edition. I am Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson and joining me is Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. Hello, Richard. Ahoy. <laughs> we are on number three of our 15 episode countdown to the final season of Game of Thrones where we are running through our like best slash most essential episodes that you should rewatch or revisit before season eight is upon us and later in April. We are here today to talk about Season 2, Episode 9, Blackwater, which first aired May 27th, 2012, written by George R. R. Martin, you might have heard of him, directed by Neil Marshall. Um, this is, oh, oh, as I have with every other episode so far, I've given myself a challenge of a 15-word or less fewer recap. I have come under the mark this time. So you did it in 11. I did it in 11. <laughs> Here's r- r- Blackwater at 11 words. Cersei says the word rape a lot. Green fire goes boom. So that yeah, is... I think that's pretty succinct. <laughs> that's the Battle of Blackwater. This is our first battle episode, quote unquote, of Game of Thrones, something that they would become very famous for. Uh, we will talk sort of more broadly about why we think this episode is so important. But first, we have a few little like awards we want to hand out. Um, I am going to start with my obvious MVP of the episode. It is the queen herself, the future queen, the once and future queen, Cersei Lannister. Uh, old booze bag. <laughs> this is a real funky episode for her. <laughs> this is this is a real more wine episode for Cersei Lannister. Love her in this episode. Uh, Richard, what's yours? I mean. I think I'm probably on on your same page, though. I think that there's some great Varys stuff in this episode, although yeah. a weird scene about him that I we should talk about in our sort of more general discussion about it. Uh, but yeah, you you can't deny that Cersei is sort of the, the centerpiece of this episode. The sneaky MVP of this episode for me, actually, I was going to put someone that I will mention later, and I have last minute substitution. I'm picking the National, uh, which which did a version oh. of the Reigns <laughs> yeah. of Castamere yeah. that played over the closing credits. Uh, that was sort of a big deal when that happened. So uh, the band, the National, my sneaky MVP of this episode. How about you? Uh, my sneaky MVP this episode is, I had to look this up, Hallen the pyromancer, the crazy old man who's like responsible for all of this, uh, green fire. Um, yeah. and when it goes off, uh, and they're all watching from the, the battlements or whatever, he's just like in the background with his little hat on, kind of giggling, like he's so excited to finally see this happening. Um, and so yeah, I think that was one of my favorite moments in this episode. 
I know I'm thinking of a specific animated character, but I can't think of what it is. But I, if this were an animated thing, I feel like he would have like one tooth and just be like cackling. Oh, fully. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, all right. And we are going to now name our like number one quotes from the episode. We are going to do our best to perform them. I'm going to try to do better than I did last time. Uh, here I go. This is my Rory McCann as the hound impression. Uh, fuck the King's God. Fuck the city. Fuck the king. Oh, so with a good direct look at <laughs> stupid old Joffrey. <laughs> bye bye. Yeah. Um so there um, you go. Mine is very quick. It's just drink girl. <laughs> <laughs> Cersei just being like, come on, like take a real sip. Um it's funny, I that was a bad Cersei, but um yeah. There's another line she has, I think it's like Sense is like, Oh, but you're doing a you're doing good things. We're all here. And Cersei goes, because I had to. Yeah. <laughs> like something like that. It's just like Sansa so is a real goon in this episode. <laughs> well, she's both a goon and, um, heck, I'll just say it now. I was going to save it for later. She's, she's a goon through most of it. You know, like when she's like, shall we all sing a hymn together? Mm-hmm. Um, but she does have that one scene where she's like kind of goading Joffrey into getting oh, onto the battlefield. Totally. Was pretty great. Like that's that's like a spark of the Sansa to come, where she's like, "Oh, but surely your grace would be on the vanguard." Mm-hmm. Um, super great. All right, best dress this episode. Uh, as I mentioned before, there's one true queen in this episode: Cersei Lannister in her golden breastplate, fashion breastplate that she wears, as if to be like, "I'm in the battle too." More wine, uh, Richard. What's yours? I mean, it's tough to argue with that, but uh, I don't I think Shay looks pretty good. Yeah, she's got that sassy little, like, blade strapped to her mm-hmm. thigh, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good when accessory. She's like, when she's like, nobody's raping me. By the way, really genuinely, they say the word rape so many times this it's, episode. Yeah. It's a lot. All right. Uh, and what a convenient time for me to transition to our ship of the episode. The two characters or objects or something that we are rooting for. I gotta say... I don't think we've yet seen uh Podrick Payne go to the brothel, so his reputation is not there. But just seeing the like very gentle, thoughtful way he dresses Tyrion in that armor, I'm I'm shipping Pod with anyone, literally anyone, and Podrick Payne. Don't sleep on Podrick Payne. He's here to help you with your armor. Uh what do you got? Well, it's funny to use the word ship in this episode. Um, <laughs> but I gotta say that my friend Hal and the Pyromancer, it's not really a ship, it actually happened. Like, he, like they finally got together, him and the fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his burning passion. Yeah. You consummated yeah, in this episode. I, I'm looking at a picture of him, uh, online and it's just very funny. Um, making me laugh. I love that little hat. <laughs> yeah, his little bonnet is truly great with his little chain, too. All right. So, um, so yeah, so those are our words for this episode. And then we're going to talk about like why this is uh, the best slash most essential. It's funny. Um, I have gotten into various arguments with people over the years over what the best season of Game of Thrones is. Mm. It's a lot of times I'll end up arguing for season two because there's so much palace intrigue. And I really love all the Tyrion stuff in this season. And, uh, you know, just like Dinklage really feeling himself in, in the height of Tyrion's powers and all that sort of stuff like that. Um, that being said, this, this is our only season two episode we're talking about because there aren't like episodes that stand out the way that this one does. Um, as I mentioned, this is the first of the, of the battle episodes that, you know, we'll see, we'll see many more to come. Um, but it does something 
Maybe because George wrote it, maybe because they didn't have the budget to, you know, go full battle or whatever, but it does something very true to the books, which is hop back and forth between these POVs and you get what's happening with Sansa and Cersei and what's happening with like Stannis and Tyrion and Joffrey and all of them, the men and the women folk. And, uh, you know, and you shed away a lot of the other plot lines, which I don't, which is relatively new to Game of Thrones as well. They're like, we don't check in with Daenerys or, Aria or any of the, of the other things, you know? It's almost um, a bottle episode. Almost, yeah, yeah. Almost. As close as you can get. Um, and yeah, it's just, um, I think it's, it's masterful in that way. Neil Marshall is a director who I, who I really like. He, he did that really creepy horror film, The Descent, mm. about women's spelunkers and vampires, <laughs> cave people well, that are bad. Really they're love. bad monsters. They're not vampires. <laughs> let's be fair. Sorry. Bad monsters, cave people. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm a big Neil Marshall fan and I really like, you know, eventually the, the battle episode director of Game of Thrones will become Mikhail Sapochnik. But what Neil Marshall does here, he, his, Violence is, I think, a little bit more brutal. Uh, there's yeah. nothing like elegant about this episode except for when the green fire just explodes and it's very beautiful. But in his like close combat, um, you just really feel every squelch, every sort of hack and all of that. So, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of what he does here. What do you think? Yeah, I think that this is one of those episodes that people who'd read the book were like, how the fuck are they going to do that? You know, because it's so big and, you know, television had certainly expanded by 2012, but like Game of Thrones was the one doing the expanding. And so uh, just trying to be like, trying to imagine, like this was pre-Netflix series, you know, House of Cards was coming the next year. Like this was, HBO was still the sort of premiere thing. And, but we, I, I had doubts that even they could pull something like this off. I think that there are moments in rewatching this episode where there's a sort of deceptive closeness and a smallness to the battle stuff. Like a lot of the battle out front just happens in front of the door. You know, we don't really see much beyond it. It's very dark past that. And, you know, I think with, I think the boat stuff is, 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 you know, that's, that's really where they spent their money. And I think it paid off without being um, just spectacle for spectacle's sake. You know, I think there actually really is a um, weight to that, especially the, the wildfire scene and like, like what is happening and, and how serious it is and how sort of unprecedented. I think that like Tyrion's face as he watches his plan work uh, is both a satisfaction to some extent, but also a sort of horror. Um, and I think it's really important that the show at this point, maybe not so much later, but at this point is, is cognizant of the sort of the meaning of all this violence. So they, um, they grabbed, they got $8 million, um, for this episode, uh, which is a laughably small sum now, seemingly. Um, but it's $2 million more than they, you know, usually spent. Um, and Weiss and Benioff gave an interview, I think in like 2014, where they said, we almost had no battle at all for budgetary reasons. We came very, very close to having all the action take place off screen the way plays have handled battle scenes for a few thousand years to our minds. The entire season builds this clash. And if we didn't see any of it, we were undercutting the story and shortchanging the audience. And I think that that's true. I mean, like I've been a sort of vocal, 
critic of the way in which I think the show sometimes relies too much on spectacle these days, but I think you really did need to have, like, like as much as I love the Cersei Sansa stuff, like, imagine if the Battle of Blackwater took place elsewhere. I just, I, I think they needed this. They made the right decision. HBO made the right decision backing them. This, you know, the ratings for Game of Thrones early on were, like, good, but they weren't tremendous, so... Um, as we talked about in some of these, these others rewatching episodes, this is still HBO taking a bit of a gamble, giving them an extra two mil to do this. No small thing. Um, and yeah, I, it's just, it's, it, it really pays off. That being said, like, I, I gotta give it to an episode of a battle episode of Game of Thrones, um, that has time for like Cersei Lannister to sit on a throne with her son telling him a story and preparing to feed him poison. Like, it's just, it's, it's a long scene and it's so good. And Lena Heaney's so good, uh, in that role and, and, uh, original Tom and original, original flavor, baby Tom and very cute. Um, yeah, I just, I really love this episode. Well, there are so many character dynamics. There's so many plates spinning at once, you know, and it's, it's to, to do, to keep character consistent and motivation consistent while also attending to these huge, this huge special effects thing, um, you know, to not lose sight of the humanity of, of these, or lack thereof of some of these people. Um, you know, that's a really tricky balancing act. And I think that it's one that, that Game of Thrones at its best, um, manages quite well in a way that, um, other big spectacle shows have not. Um, not that there are that many shows you could compare to Game of Thrones, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I, I think that like you, I don't, you know, I, I have maybe not soured on, but gotten a little tired of the battle episodes of this show. Um, but I think that for this being the first foray, it, it really does something, you know, that was, I mean, I remember like just being like, wow, when I watched it on, on television on, on that Sunday night, you know, just being like they, they pulled it off and then some. Um, and I think that's been part of the thrill of the show for the, the, for the people the world over. Actually, I think their battle up, their most successful battle episodes for me are the ones that are only actually partially a battle episode. Yeah. So, you know, not to spoil things to come that we're going to talk about, but like Hard Home, um, the, which is a great battle episode. That's only like the last, I think, 20, 15, 20 minutes of that episode or Spoils of War, which was last season, season seven with Jamie versus the dragon. Like that feels like a battle episode, but that's really only a small part of that episode. And so like it's, I think when you balance that spectacle with uh, other meaty drama that I'm really into it. And, um, and this is an example of that. A uh, few other things that I want to mention. One, R.I.P. Davos's son, Mathos, yeah. who we barely knew ye. Um, more importantly, there's like, there's like a key, a few uh, motivational scenes on this, uh, motivational speeches on this. Tyrion's got a great one, right? Like, I think he says like, let's fuck him in the asses or something like that. It's a yeah. great, long, rousing Tyrion speech. He gets the whole crowd on his side. Uh, and it's funny because the last episode we just talked about Baylor, he also gives a motivational battle speech. So we got two Tyrion battle speeches back to back. Um, Stannis' battle speech, this is it in its entirety. Come with me and take this city. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, That's classic Stannis. Stannis. Yeah. Classic Stannis. Um, he also, uh, comparing this to Baylor, which is the last episode we talked about too, in that episode you have Rob Stark really like considering the weight of the things that he had to sacrifice in order to win this battle in, in Baylor. Uh, in this episode, 
you know, Stannis makes a tactical decision like, okay, our, our fleet is fucked. Like we're going to storm the castle. And one of his men goes like hundreds of men will die. He goes thousands. And he just doesn't seem that troubled by it. Well, because he's, so, he's guided by this right. kind of messianic, almost religious conviction uh, that like has him like, it doesn't matter what happens as long as I get this thing that I am destined for, you know? And I think it shows the peril of that, you know? Um, yeah. It's certainly, uh, was part of the undoing of uh, Davos's son. Um, and in the book, I feel like he loses all of his sons in that, in that scene. And I don't know if the show is addressed. I forget if they address that later, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real big loss for him. Oh, they really streamlined Davos's family in the show because like, as I'm fond of mentioning, he still has a wife somewhere that he just has forgotten about for five seasons or so. So, right. you know, um, <laughs> uh, well, no one think of Davos's wife and eh, certainly not Davos. Okay. So is there anything else we want to mention in this episode? We get, we get like some hound and Sansa stuff. Um, the hound, you know, fucking off forever. Great. We haven't talked at, about Joffrey Baratheon at all. And, and I think we should mention that, um, much as you had praise for Viserys, like watching these Joffrey episodes, I'm like, man, I miss this kid. I loved this kid so much. Like he was so good in this role. Well, I so, think it was, yeah. I think it, it, what it is, is that, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful performance by a kid who, who has kind of given up acting, right? Like he, yeah, he's was, like, He's an economist now or something yeah, like that. Um, yeah. But like, it's a wonderful performance because I like, and, and the writing is so good for it because it, there's something arch about it. Like there's, he's awful and detestable and you can't wait for him to get his comeuppance, but he's not like, you know, like annihilatingly bad uh, in the way that um, uh, Bolton uh, in later seasons was. You Ramsey. Know, the, Ramsey. Ramsey. Yeah. Just yeah. this like crazy, like, come on, man. Like, like, like just like lugubrious sort of, you know, sadism. Um, you know, it was fun to hate Joffrey. Uh, it wasn't exhausting. It was just kind of like, Oh, that little shit, you know? <laughs> and, and it, and it's, it's why it's so satisfying when the hound kind of tells him off and knowing that he sort of is doing so with impunity. Um, because what's that kid going to do? Um, yeah, he was a great character. Well played. Uh, not long for this world uh, after this episode though. Yeah. Um, so, well, no, he gets we, he gets a whole other season to be terrible. And Does then, he? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't kick it until season four. Oh wow! Um, I thought it was early season three. Gosh. Yeah, I yeah, know. So we got a few, a little more. Time oh right, because we haven't talk. even had the other thing. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's Jack Gleason, who is like you know pretty much retired from uh, you know film and TV entirely. Uh, we are the poorer for it on uh, Game of Thrones, certainly. And yeah, I think, I think that's all I want to say. I mean, like some, some, some fun Lancel Lannister stuff in this episode. Uh, you know, Cersei yelling at Lancel, delightful as always. Um, yeah. And like, it was fun. Be, we're being reminded like, Oh yeah, he was there. He's, he's been with that story for a long time until he meets his end. You know, um, the show yeah. does not forget. I think he's especially foppish in season one. He's got, I think he's got one of the worst wigs that anyone has. And, uh, it lo- it just looks like very silly on him. But, um, yeah. Oh, and then we should mention, so this is where, you know, um, Tyrion gets his big, you know, the big gash on his face. And, um, I was thinking about this when I was watching this episode. You mentioned this on another episode, uh, of this rewatch that we did that, um, there wasn't as much tension there about spoilers and cliffhangers and twists and stuff like that. Because even though obviously there are like twists in Game of Thrones in the early seasons, like the fact that so many of us knew what happened because we had read the books 
just it felt less fraught. The fandom felt less fraught. Uh, obviously, of course, there were fewer people watching, but like um the fact that Tyrion goes down in this episode and all of us who had read the books knew he's not dead, you know, it just didn't feel like that big of a deal to like keep that a secret or anything like that. You know, it's revealed in the next episode, episode 10. Um But in the books, it is a little bit of a George R. R. Martin loves his sneaky point of view is this character dead chapters. Uh, so this is one of those chapters in the book where Tyrion, like, you know, he gets much more grievously injured in the book. His, his nose gets lopped off basically. Um, and you don't know if he's dead. And so this is like a, a cliffhanger chapter in the book, but in the show, you're just sort of like, yeah, he got, he got, got hit on his face and he's down, but he's not out. Um, so I just, I just remember that being like, I, I, I think I was doing my other podcast cast of Kings at the time with, with my friend Dave Chen, who was not spoiled on anything. And I do remember I had to like, not confirm or deny whether or not Tyrion was alive at the end of this episode, but it wasn't like so loaded as it later became. So it was, you know, breezier times in the Game of Thrones fandom. All right. Well, that does it for our discussion of season two, episode nine, Blackwater. Stay tuned for our conversation with the episode's director, Neil Marshall, as well as for the announcement of which episode we will be talking about next time. We are joined today by director Neil Marshall, who you may know from his films like The Descent, Centurion, Dog Soldiers, which stars Liam Cunningham, a.k.a. Davos Seaworthy himself. Or if you're a Game of Thrones fanatic, you might know him from directing this episode, Blackwater, as well as a season four battle episode, Watchers on the Wall. We talked to Neil mainly about Blackwater, but also about his hopes for the future, the final season, and his friend Liam Cunningham. Uh, Neil Marshall, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Good. All good, yeah. Um, All right, so I wanted to talk to you about this episode of Game of Thrones, Season 2, Episode 9, Blackwater, which did so much to put the show on the map in terms of what it could do for big spectacles. Like, I remember in the first season... They didn't even have the budget to do a battle episode, and season two was sort of a game yeah. No. At, w- at what point were you brought into the process? Uh, kind of at the last minute. It was um, it was a slightly crazy thing. I got a phone call on a Saturday morning, out of the blue, um, from one of the producers, uh, basically saying, "How would you like to come and direct an episode of Game of Thrones?" And immediately I was just like, "I would love to next month, next week." I said, "Well." Uh, you have to start Monday morning, <laughs> and you'll have a week. You'll have a week to prep the biggest episode we've ever done. Um, and the reason was was that the original director, for uh, personal reasons, has had to to leave that show. They had to leave that episode, and they needed somebody in a hurry. And as it turned out, I'd made a, a movie a couple of years before that called Centurion. Um, the historical adventure thing actually was done on a budget, but it's a historical adventure movie. And a lot of the crew from that had gone on to work on Game of Thrones. And so when this director dropped out, the several of the crew members, the stunt coordinator and the horse master and various other people literally just like walked up to the producers and said, here's Neil's phone number, give him a call, he'll save you. <laughs> he will come and <laughs> sort you out. So I watched the entire first season on the Sunday 
we wow. shot the whole thing, I think it was like in 15 very wet and rainy nights. And when you hear reports now of them shooting like 11 weeks for a single battle episode or something like that, are you like, are you jealous? Are you like, I wish I had 11 weeks to work on my episode? Very, very jealous. Yes. Um, yeah. A lot of them, you see that they, they get to work in like these beautiful, like Spain and Morocco and stuff like that. And uh, both of my episodes were shot in this old quarry uh, outside Belfast on very, very cold, rainy, muddy nights up to my knees in mud along with everybody else. And uh, yeah, there was no glamour and no no time to, to stand around and think about it. We uh, The first one, I mean, when I did the watches on the wall, I had a little bit longer. Right. But uh, certainly on, on Donald Blackwater, we, I think it was like 15 days to shoot the whole episode, not just the battle stuff. So, yeah. I remember there being these hysterical headlines at the time, uh, you know, oh my God, this hour of TV cost HBO $8 million, something like that. But that seems yeah. so small now. Uh, staring in the barrel of what you had to pull off on, on that budget, was there anything that you thought you weren't going to be able to get away with? We had to depict this whole fleet of ships, but we only had one actual physical ship to work on. Um, you know, we had to depict this you know, King's Landing, but we had a, a section of the castle on and the beach and stuff like that was again was this the bottom of the quarry was kind of flooded so and it had this sort of a sort of a beach kind of thing and you know we did the whole beach landing there and you know we're trying to do something that's the scale of like a private Ryan or something like that but on this little quarry thing but uh, what I'd done or what I'd proved to them that I could do with, with my films was make a budget look you know three or four times bigger than it actually was and I just put all of that into practice with this as well. One of my favorite parts about this battle episodes is how it, it hops back and forth between the action on the beach and the action inside the palace yeah. with Cersei and Sansa. How do you calibrate those two moods, those two very different tonal pieces of this episode? Uh, well, thankfully, um, I had an excellent script to work <laughs> on. <laughs> so... Um, you know, those those guys are amazing writers and you know, they provide that backbone of the character and the drama. And I remember talking to Lena uh, Hedy about her character and what uh, the way she was behaving towards Sansa within the group. And I think I just simply said to her, I said, you're kind of like the, the drunk aunt at a wedding, <laughs> like just being very kind of like obnoxious and leery and not caring about what anybody thinks and making a nuisance of yourself. And she was like, "Yeah, I get it. Totally get it." And and but but also, you know, so you've got to you've got to handle the scene in that respect. But then you've got to handle the scene in respect of the bigger picture, which is like, okay, you're all in here, but there's people hammering at the gates trying to kill you. So, like, how does that affect you? How does that affect your performance? Right. Um, and understanding, keeping that on people's minds all the time. It's like you're not just in a comfortable room; you're in a comfortable room inside a castle that's being attacked. Um, so no, it's 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 always right working a balance, but it all boils down to the quality of the script. Yeah, another another scene that I love, you know, speaking of the quality of the script and just sort of narrowing down a battle episode into character is that other Cersei sequence in the throne room when she's there with little Tommen on her lap and you know thinking that she has to end it all for his safety. Can you talk about you know memories you have shooting that that particular scene? Well, the biggest challenge with something like that is like how can you shoot? Trying to find new ways. How can you shoot the throne room, like in a, in a way that that it tells the story, but also is perhaps in a way that people haven't seen it before? Um, so you don't just want to shoot the same thing in the same way again and again and again. 
and and also you're, you're dealing with like the scale of this set, but you also want to make it a very intimate and dramatic moment between these two characters sitting on the throne together. So trying to put them, and in some respects, put them in the bigger picture to make them look as small as possible within this huge world uh, tells you something about them and, and how how small their problems are in the big world, but at the same time how important they are in the big world. Um, because without them, everything else would fall apart. It's a it's a juggling act, I suppose. You know, when it comes out well, you you, you keep all the balls in the air and everything works out fine. Try not to drop one. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked about uh, you already mentioned making one ship look like a fleet. Um, what's the what is another sort of large stunt or small stunt even that is harder was harder to pull off than people might think when they're watching it? There was a scene where they run up to the wall and. Uh, somebody throws a rock over and it hits a guy on the head next to uh, Stannis, and you know, and, and, and he reacts to that, and, and, and it all happens in a flash on the screen. But that took a long time to set up, and I was insistent on that we try and do it as practically as possible. So we, like, we built this dummy with a collapsible head and we literally dropped a rock on it, and and things, <laughs> and getting uh, again, uh, you know, Stannis's actual reaction to that with the blood and stuff like that. Um, uh, and then the smaller boats, the skiffs or whatever, with all the guys in charging up the beach and trying to... We had, I think we had about eight or nine actual boats full of guys. And I was always terrified. All these guys are like in armor with swords. And I was terrified if the boat you know, collapsed or um, flipped over or something like that because you know, they'd just sink. <laughs> with all that heavy metal right. that they they'd sink. So there was always that concern. And, and this was happening in like in a howling gale the pouring rain and everybody, you know, everybody looks at the episode and think oh we must have like bought in rain machines or whatever no 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 this is all real rain in, in, in some respects both episodes that I did of, of Game of Thrones enhanced my education and knowledge and understanding of visual effects massively I'd not really done uh, major visual effects pieces before that so it was a, it was a learning process for me too what did you think when you first saw that what the wildfire would look that big green explosion on the screen which is one of the most iconic images from the show when you first saw that all done and shiny what did you think <laughs> it was it made me giggle with glee just to see that it all come off because you know we were out there shooting kind of reaction shots to to this thing and uh elements that would go into this explosion and then literally just handing it over to the visual effects guys and they gave me like a, a, an animatic of, of what we were after, and you know, so I could see essentially what we were trying to achieve. And we stuck very closely to that. And ultimately, the end shot, you know, strongly resembles that, but with like much more finesse and, and uh, the, the, the colors and the, you know, all the details that you get from the finished product. I'm wondering, you went from season two where Game of Thrones was, you know, as you say, there was. It wasn't quite what it became. There was some buzz around it, but it still felt a little bit like a scrappy underdog genre show in certain regards. Yeah. Um, to season four, you know, the, Weiss and Benny have talked about how getting to the end of season three, they're like, we know if we can make it there, we can make it anywhere. If we can pull off the end of season three, we've got it. So what was it like coming in on season four to sort of, a, was it a much more assured production? Could you feel a difference in, in where they were just two years later? Well, even, yeah, by that point, uh, in my season four, I mean, Game of Thrones was part of the zeitgeist by then. It was, it was a cultural phenomenon by then. Um, you know, stuff on YouTube and everybody's talking about it and people are writing about it and you could just feel it in the air. 
Mexico to be invited back to be a part of this thing, which is like a television revolution, and knowing that the stakes have gone up so much uh, by them for everybody involved, and you could feel that they were, they felt the pressure to deliver as much as anything. I'm I'm wondering if um, I don't know if you're allowed to say this, but if over those two episodes. If there's an actor that you found particularly, I don't know, I will just say like even interesting to work with. Maybe you hadn't worked with them before and you were excited to see what they could do. Or maybe it's like Liam Cunningham and you had worked with them before, but excited to work with him in this other context. Like, what is there one performer that stands out for you? Well, I mean, it's easy to say like Liam because it's just a pleasure to work with him. Obviously, I, I didn't work with him uh, on the second episode where I blew him off the ship on the first one and that was great fun. <laughs> right. I think, you know, like on the first one I was working with Peter Dinklage was just such a joy. Um, such a lovely, lovely guy and just brings so much to that character and had so much fun. And I think he really enjoyed, like, getting into the action and stuff and hacking people's legs off with, with action and stuff because he hadn't done a lot of that in the show at that point. So so that was a lot of fun. And then I think on the second one I, I loved working with Kit. Uh, again, it was like... I hadn't worked with any actor who was so nimble on his feet and so great at doing like the sword, sword fighting and stuff like that. Um, so physically like confident that he, you know, just has these moves down pat. It was just such a pleasure to 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 work with an actor of that that standing. Um, but I don't know. It was like the, the, just the cast is so uniformly amazing that there was no one person it was like everybody but you know it's it's hard to choose absolutely i also really love the contrast in in blackwater that you have between peter's very rousing battle cry speech and then uh stephen delana's stannis who's basically like um let's go that's it right that's the stannis battle yeah. speech it's just like let's, let's go take this castle yeah <laughs> he's very funny he's like right, so understated <laughs> But then, like, uh, and also in, in both episodes, um, there is a rousing speech um, in, in Watson the Wall as well. And um, unfortunately, it was pouring with rain on both nights. And I was, uh, I was really worried. I thought, oh, no, people are going to think that that's my thing. It's like, anytime I make a speech, it's going to be in a pouring rain. But it's not my fault. It's just raining. I can't do anything about it. Um, and then on the second episode, they, the CGI guys removed the rain. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. Wow. Like some, 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 some magic. I don't even think it's to do with computers. I think they use actual sorcery to get them to write. <laughs> are you still watching the show now that you know you haven't done an episode in season four? But are you still like a fan? Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Is like why well, it's such a joy to be a part of because I'm, I'm also a huge fan of the show. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've, I've followed it all the way, and I cannot wait for the final season. I'm, I, mean, I cannot wait for. It. I'm a huge fan. And then hoping that everybody's going to get vengeance in the end. <laughs> Do you think it's going to be a, a happy ending? Oh, God. Uh, no, uh, well, knowing this, the way this, this, this story's gone so far, anything's possible. Ooh, I like that game. Anything's possible. Um, Sir Davos, your friend Liam Cunningham on the Iron Throne, is that possible? Davos. I've set, I think that one of the... Um, uh, one of the posters for the new season, one of them has a picture of Davos on the throne. And I was like, yep, that's it. That's what I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Well, Liam, Liam owes you a pint for that one, I think. And um, I think so. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Neil, for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I hope it's useful. All right, that does it for season two, episode nine, Blackwater. 
Next time, we will be discussing maybe my favorite episode, Season 3, Episode 5. We will be joined by co-executive producer and longtime writer on the series, Brian Cogman, who will discuss Kiss by Fire, as well as his entire tenure on Game of Thrones. It's a great conversation. We will see you next time.